Good morning. So good to be with you this morning and be studying together. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2, continuing our study of the book of Colossians. I'll turn this on for you. Okay. We started into Colossians a little bit last week uh, to, to talk about the foundation of faith idea of being full uh, and feeling satisfied in the Lord. I'd like to reread uh, the last two verses that we studied last week. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So just Take a second before we begin our study this morning and and let this all sink in. Maybe bring it back to memory if you were here last week. What this is telling us. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I heard an illustration of this in a sermon I was listening to this week. uh, That if you're standing on the seashore and you're looking out at the ocean, it just looks infinite. Like there's an endless amount of water. And could you ever imagine all of that water being fit into a mason jar? (laughs) It just seems impossible, right? Uh, And really, that's kind of the sense that we're given in this, is that all the fullness of God was fit into a human body that lived among us. And then the words that follow that are even more amazing. You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. That, that through this act of God coming and filling uh, Jesus and becoming uh, God in human form, now there's been the opportunity given to all of us that we who have received Christ have already received uh, a fullness, a filling inside of us because of this wonderful work that God has done. Now, we hear this and we're probably thinking, how is this even possible? You know, how is it possible that God is able to fill us and, 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 and help us to be everything that uh, he wants us to be, that we could be uh, to the praise of his glory, that we could glorify God? We, we look at ourselves, maybe we look at our lives, and we probably don't see that. I mean, I don't know how proud we are or, <laughs> or how, how much we think of ourselves, but we probably look at our lives and we probably realize that we still struggle uh, with sins and we still have issues in our own lives. And so maybe we wonder how could God make us full when we see in ourselves that we're still struggling with sin. Maybe that's what the Colossians are struggling with as well. Uh, and maybe that's why Paul says this to them, that... In Jesus is all the fullness of God, and you, Colossians, have been filled in him. Uh, As a Colossian church is very new, they don't seem to have a whole lot of understanding uh, up until this point. This whole letter from Paul to the Colossians is intended to help explain how they have received so many blessings in Christ and help them understand what they're supposed to do with that. Well, what we're going to study this morning is verses 11 through 19. And 11 through 19 explains for us, especially for the younger Christian uh, or for those who just haven't really quite grasped it yet, 
uh, what it is that God has done in order to fill us. It kind of explains the process of filling a Christian and, and what it means as a Christian to be, be filled and stay filled all the days of your life. So as we study through this text, we're going to see four different pictures that, that Paul gives the Colossian church to help them understand how they have been filled and are continually being filled as they live their lives. Okay, Let's look together at the first picture. Just look with me at verse 11. He says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The first picture he gives us is that of circumcision. Now, what, what is he talking about here? He says, in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision. So, how many of us who have been Christians remember going to, scheduling your appointment, whenever you accepted Christ, to go into the hospital and to receive that surgery of circumcision? We all did that, right? That was part of the process of being saved in Christ. We had to be circumcised. Well, what is circumcision, and why is he mentioning circumcision here in the New Testament? The, this, the, the idea of circumcision is an Old Testament idea, right? This comes back to Genesis chapter 17, and, and this goes back to Abraham. Abraham was given the covenant of circumcision. God uh, had promised Abraham many things and, and told Abraham, you go to the land that I told you to possess. I'm going to give you uh, a son and, and descendants, as numerous as the stars of the sky. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to make uh, uh, your seed a blessing to all the earth. All these promises. And in chapter 17, God reassures Abraham by telling him, we're going to make a covenant together. Uh, between us, and we're going to have a covenant relationship just to, to, to reassure you and to verify that, yes, I will deliver these promises. And that covenant required Abraham and all those in his house to be physically circumcised, had the foreskin of their flesh removed. And because they were willing to do that, then God would be willing to do everything that he had promised them. He would be a God to Abraham and all of his house. And this would be a sign of the covenant relationship that they share. I'd like to read Genesis 17, 9 through 14, just to kind of reiterate this. God said to Abraham, verse 9, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days, eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised." So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
You see the importance of this covenant to all the descendants of Abraham, that they enter into this covenant relationship with God through circumcision. Now, there's many covenants in the Old Testament. There's the covenant of the Ten Commandments, but here, here is this covenant given at the beginning to Abraham between Abraham and God and between Abraham's offspring and God that they would be circumcised and that would show everybody that they are in a relationship with God. That would be a reminder to all of the people of Israel that they belong to Abraham's offspring, that they are receivers, recipients of the promises that were made to Abraham. Okay, so why is Paul bringing up circumcision? This is all Old Testament kind of stuff about uh, what was promised to Abraham. Is, is Paul insinuating that we're supposed to go back in the Old Testament and, and be circumcised like Abraham was circumcised? Well, Paul spends a lot of time uh, refuting that idea in many of his letters. So is that what he's saying here? Is he contradicting himself? Well, notice these words. He says, in him, uh, he says, in him also you were circumcised, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision made without hands. This is not something that a doctor here at a hospital does for you to bring you into the covenant relationship with God. This is a surgery that takes place without hands. So in other words, in order for this cutting to happen... Uh, it's not going to be like the circumcision of Abraham. It's going to be something else. And it's cutting off, he says, the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Not the circumcision of Abraham, the circumcision of Christ. It's cutting off the body of the flesh. Well, what does that mean? What in the world is the body of the flesh? Um, you know, as I'm listening to sermons, I'm hearing people just overlook this. I'm like, okay, well, that makes perfect sense. The body of the flesh gets cut off. What in the world is that all about? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament again and you start looking a little bit, you start to understand that, that God wanted his people in the Old Testament not just to be circumcised after Abraham, but he also wanted them to have something else circumcised. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says this, Behold, the Lord your God, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after him. You above all people, speaking to Israel, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskins of your heart. And be no longer stubborn. This is God's word to Israel before they go into the promised land. And he tells them, okay, you're circumcised after Abraham, but listen, I want you to perform on yourself another circumcision. I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You imagine a heart that's got this outer protective layer of skin on it that prevents it from being affected by anything. It's impenetrable. Uh, and, and the picture he gives here is... It's stubbornness. <laughs> it's this unwillingness to change the heart, to, to be what God wants it to be. It's like the heart has decided what it's going to be, and it's unwilling to be uh, modified or edited. And so God says, I want you to cut away the protective barrier and to open your heart up to the word that I'm telling you to be obedient. This is what God wanted Israel to do from the beginning and in the promised land as they come in, to have their hearts circumcised. 
Well, we see maybe some evidence of that as we go through time of different people circumcising their hearts, becoming obedient uh, and, and submitting to God. Um, but in Jeremiah 4.4, we see God telling them again, you, you're, just, you're stubborn. You're not circumcising your hearts. And so he condemns them. And then he destroys them. In Jeremiah, we're learning about how that's happening. In Ezekiel, the same thing is, is kind of portrayed as, as Jerusalem is destroyed. But, it, but after Jerusalem is destroyed, after the people fail to circumcise their hearts and open up their hearts and turn to the Lord, this is what God says and promises in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, so Abraham's circumcision is kind of a shadow of this other circumcision that is made without hands. And the picture it gives us is a circumcision of the heart, a removal of the foreskin of the heart, a removal of a stubborn, rebellious heart. And now in Ezekiel, he tells us, God's going to do a complete heart transplant. <laughs> he's going to remove this heart of stone that's no good and of no use to him. And he's going to place inside of us a tender heart that's able to be uh, guided and directed after the will of God. A new spirit, a new, uh, a new attitude, a new mindset, new desires that we would then carefully obey the rules of God, according to Ezekiel. So now here in Colossians, we look at this text and we understand it. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The Colossians, Paul is telling them, have received a sign of their covenant relationship with God through a spiritual circumcision in Christ. Okay, we understand that. That's good. Well, when did this happen? You know, they, they've, they've received this. Do they understand that they went through this procedure and had their heart uh, circumcised? Look at verse 12. It says, having been, notice, you've been circumcised, and then he says, having been, so now he's explaining when the circumcision took place, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here we get the second picture given to us. As he's been talking about uh, circumcision, now he seems to swap to another picture. He starts talking to us about resurrection, being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. So it seems like he's just swapping topics. He's decided to go on from circumcision and start talking about resurrection. But notice the words having been denotes a continuation of this expl explanation 
Okay, he's helping us understand when the circumcision took place. Even in verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Circumcision is still being discussed. And now he's just adding a metaphor of being buried and raised uh, in, in Christ and with Christ. So now not only does he say we've been circumcised, but now Paul also says we've been resurrected. How many of us have died? <laughs> How many of us had the flat line in the hospital room? Well, no, that's not physical death. It's talking about a spiritual dying and a spiritual re resurrection, being made alive. But notice how he describes the very point in time, the moment in time when all this happens. When are we circumcised? When are we resurrected from the dead? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So baptism is a circumcision and a resurrection. And this is the way he describes baptism as being both of these things, where, where uh, the, the, these events take place and where these things happen to us. Was this teaching that we save ourselves? Through baptism? Is that what this is teaching? Well, notice who's doing the work in baptism. Notice the way this is worded as you read through this. You were buried with him, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God. Huh. In the powerful faith in the powerful working of God. Verse 13, and you were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Who's working in baptism? Is the one who submits to baptism working? No, God is working. So baptism is this spiritual event that takes place in this physical act where there's circumcision that's being done without hands, and where there is a burial and a resurrection, a, a death of the old man and a resurrection to walk in newness of life. How do we view baptism? Doesn't this go against all of the philosophies that we hear from men about baptism? How many of us have heard that baptism is a work that we do uh, and it, it has nothing to do with salvation? It's something that we do. It's a work. At the age of 12, uh, at the age of uh, 7, sorry, I was baptized. Uh, and at the age of 12, I felt like my baptism was not right for the right reason, didn't understand things, and, and I thought I needed to be baptized. I was told, that's unnecessary. You don't need to be baptized. But Paul talks about baptism as being a work of God, not of man. That's the way baptism is portrayed in this text. And, and some people might look at this and they see all these metaphors and they get a little confused, right? There's a metaphor about uh, circumcision. There's this picture of circumcision found in Christ's circumcision. There's a metaphor about resurrection. There's a, there's a picture, an image given to us about we're being raised from the dead. And so these two pictures are given. But notice that these two pictures are pointing and describing what happens in a physical event that takes place. 
Some people might even say, well, that's a spiritual baptism. That, uh, you know, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit when you hear the gospel and you feel this tingle and you feel warmth inside and that's your confirmation that God has accepted you and that you are saved and forgiven of your sins. You've been spiritually baptized. But that's actually not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that refers to a warm, tingly feeling that, that lets you know that God has forgiven you of your sin. That's actually nowhere in Scripture, uh, and it's unbiblical. So instead, what we see is this physical act of baptism, which was entered into throughout uh, the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, is an action that we take, that we enter into, but that God performs the work in. It's not a work we're doing, it's a work that God is doing. At that very moment, we go from being an uncircumcised person to being part of the circumcision of Christ. We are a part of God's covenant community. We're card-carrying members of God's people, making us spiritually alive when we were spiritually dead. God is the one who is at work. It's kind of like, I heard this illustration, uh, you're told you have cancer, you're told that uh, you need a surgery, and you just sit back and say, well, I'm glad I've, I've got a great doctor that's going to cut out all my stuff. And he says, get in here. You've got to go into the surgery room. We have to perform the surgery to, to get this uh, new heart put into you. To, to have heart surgery, you have to be put under <laughs> And you have to come back uh, a new, a new, having a new life. So that's the pictures, the first two pictures that he gives us. Notice the third picture, verse 14. It's kind of connected to verse 13. Let's read 13 again. It says, You who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Notice having also is there. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this picture and this image. You got a huge stack, a, a big uh, book that's got a record of every sin that we've committed since we become accountable. And this is a record of debt that we owe because of the sins that we've committed. Now, how much is that? Imagine all the sins we've committed since the very moment we're accountable for our sins, since the moment we're old enough to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, to know what God has done uh, and what God has expected of us, and we have chosen to do the things that are wrong. Since that very moment, every single sin, how big is that book? How big is that book? That record of all of their sins. Well, we may even still be adding to that book, but what does Paul says God, what does Paul say God does with that book? He nails it to the cross. Now the wages of one of those sins in that book is death. By sinning just one time, we're worthy of death, according to Genesis. We've fallen short of the glory of God and are worthy of death by, by disobeying God and rebelling against Him. But God takes that book that's huge and full of all of our sins, 
and he nails it to the cross. Nails it to the cross. What a vivid picture of this thing is not going to be held over my people. A picture of all of these sins are paid for by the blood that was shed on this cross. The cross is a device of death. And God uses it to put all of those sins to death. And he tells all those debt collectors, you want payment for their sins? There's the listing of all their sins, and it's right there on the cross next to the blood of my son that was used to pay for it. Wow. That is such a strong statement. That, that tells us that the circumcision that happens, the burial that happens, the resurrection that happens is, is tied to this forgiveness that is happening, that God is providing the ultimate sacrifice that washes away all of our sins. We just sang it in that beautiful song. They are nailed to the cross. We'll sing it again, I think, uh, later. But this is a picture of God forgiving us of all of our sins and making it to where we don't have to pay what we can't pay. This is beyond us to pay. You imagine uh, we've got lots of debts that we could sell our stuff and pay off. This is a debt we can't pay off, a billion of dollars debt that no matter how much we work, we could ever pay off. And God nails it to the cross and forgives us of it. And then we look at the fourth picture. And that picture actually starts back in verse 10 and continues through verse 19. Verse 10, it said, uh, You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The one who fills us, he says, is the head of all rule and authority. He is the, the head over all, the, the king, the ruler. And, and verse 15, he says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities who might be over us. He disarmed them. And put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. This is what God has done. God has, has looked at all these debt collectors, at all these people who are executioners, who then are, are fulfilling the judgment that is, is supposed to be made against those who are guilty. And he's saying, give me your weapons. You can't have them anymore because they're not guilty. You're done punishing and and bringing the judgment against my people. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, and with regard to festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Notice the words, first of all, uh, let no one pass judgment on you. That, that this ruler who is head over all rules and authorities has said, you are clean, you are forgiven. And now he says to the Colossians, so don't let these other rulers and authorities think that they can, can judge you, can rule over you because of their religious observances, their religious practices, their philosophies of men, their traditions of men. Don't let them cast judgments on you. 
the Jews at that time would have had many rules and regulations and their, their own form of self-made religion that they would try to push on Christians in order to be righteous. The Gentiles would have had their own form of, of asceticism. In other words, um, refraining or forcing people to stop eating or drinking certain things and, and hurting their own bodies in order to worship God, in order to be found righteous, in order to make up for sin. And Jesus says, don't let these people judge you. Don't let these people disqualify you. Because Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. He is the one who says, who lives and who dies. He is the substance. And all these things, they're Jewish. Obviously, they came from the Old Testament. He's the substance of all those things. Whatever good those things gave them in the Old Testament, Jesus gives more good because he is the fulfillment of them. So don't let people judge you by those things. Instead, hold fast to the head. What these people who disqualify you are failing to do is what you must do. Hold fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. Here he gives us the final picture that we are the body of Christ, that Jesus is our head, and just as a head eats food that then nourishes the body and helps the body to grow. As the head is thinking about what is protecting the body and trying to do things that are good for the body to help it exercise and become stronger, Jesus is protecting us. And Jesus is feeding us and nourishing us and helping us to grow as we study his life, as we learn about him and understand the truths that he's revealed. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says it this way, and, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Through Jesus, we have a renewal of knowledge that makes us more into the creator. We're being nourished. We're being knit together. We're growing together to be what God wants us to be. So here's four pictures to help us understand how we have been filled in Christ Jesus and how we're continually being nourished and renewed um, by understanding more and more about God and becoming more and more like his image, which is ultimately what Jesus is, right? All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. And, and now it's becoming a part of us as we are members of his body. So how do we all apply this text to ourselves? Well, first of all, I'd like to think about those who might be here who are lost or those who might be tuning in who are lost, who have not really heard any of this or understood much about the gospel. How would you apply this message to yourself? Well, if you're empty and if you don't feel, you feel like something's missing or you feel as though you're against God or God's against you, Hopefully you understand in this that God made a way to join you to himself, to, to let you enter into the covenant relationship that so many have been able to enter into through the sacrifice of Jesus. He's made it possible for you to go from your dead state to a state of being fully alive. He's made it possible for everybody 
to be completely forgiven of all of their sins if they just put their faith in the working of God, in the righteousness and the goodness of God to remove those sins from us. If you're lost, this is great hope for you. But what about maybe some of those who could be here this morning, could be tuning in or listening, who have been baptized for a different reason? I don't know. Maybe your baptism was like mine whenever I was seven years old. You didn't really understand anything that you were doing. It was just told to you, this is what you do next. And you said, okay, I'll do that. And you just didn't really understand even the covenant idea. You didn't understand the idea of repenting of your sins. You didn't understand the idea of needing forgiveness of sins because you didn't even understand what sin was. You weren't even at the age of accountability yet to understand any of that. Or maybe you thought that baptism was this outward showing of an inward faith, this work that you did to show other people your faith, when this text doesn't describe it that way. Maybe you thought that was a, a work that you did to be added to a local congregation. This text doesn't describe it that way either. Well, if you understand what this says, that baptism is where we put our trust and faith in God working to circumcise us and to raise us to new life, then maybe you need to do what I did at age 17. Maybe you understand now that the first baptism that you did was for the wrong reasons, and you don't trust that God was working in that baptism because you didn't have your faith in him to work in that baptism. And now you understand. Baptism's not a work that we do for others to see but it is where we put our faith in the powerful working of God as the Bible teaches and not according to these philosophies of men. We just studied the Bible. I did not tell you my philosophies. <laughs> and so now you have to make a decision about what you're going to do. Well, if you're here or if you're tuning in and you want to be rebaptized, we can do that. There's examples of that actually in the New Testament of people being baptized uh, under the baptism of John or not really understanding and then finding and being be rebaptized after they understand the truth. And you can be rebaptized. Or maybe your circumstances is a little different from what I described. And maybe you want to study it a little bit more. Well, come talk to me about it. Let's discuss uh, and, and try to understand what the correct path is for you. But if you're here this morning, as many of you are, and you are a Christian, uh, how are you going to apply all of this? As we've been talking a lot about uh, what the Colossians had been told, hopefully you understand this is a message originally intended for Christians. What is the message for us as God's people? What are we supposed to do with all of this information about what God has already done for us? Well, if you're struggling with uh, your sins and, and the fact that you're still not where you need to be, you haven't become like Christ enough yet, notice the words that are being used here as he talks about all these things. He's saying, you have been filled, you have been circumcised, you have been resurrected from the dead. You're no longer this stubborn, sinful person that you once were. And you have had all of your sins forgiven and this record of debt nailed to the cross. You're free from all of that. 
And now what you need to do is hold fast to the head and receive the nourishment of understanding God and becoming more and more like him. Growing with a growth that is from God. So if there's anybody here who's a Christian who maybe has received judgments from others, or maybe you've, you've been given the feeling that you're somehow disqualified because you've made some mistakes in the past, this should encourage you to understand we're all growing in Christ to become like Christ. And we have the circumcision that tells us we are a part of God's covenant people. And he provides for us the forgiveness by nailing our, our record of sins to the cross. And it's always nailed to the cross, not taken down from that cross. So long as we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we have heard. That's chapter 1. Verse 23, it's there for us. We're reconciled to God, and all the mistakes that we make from here on out can be forgiven if we hold on to the faith that, God, that, that we have had in God and we receive the nourishment that he provides. We're supposed to be growing spiritually every day to be like Christ. And that hopefully is encouragement for you. If you don't feel full, look at all these blessings and feel full because of what God has done for us. Open scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, and learn about Jesus who is throughout the entire Bible and find out and understand who God is and what God has done for you and find the nourishment you need in the relationship that you have with our God. If anybody here this morning has not submitted their heart to God, we want to encourage you not to wait any longer. If you know what you need to do, uh, you can have your heart circumcised today. You can be forgiven of all of your sins, resurrected from the dead, and you can become a part of Christ's body. If you know what you need to do, please don't delay. Please come as we stand and sing.